Hey, it's Pretty Little Grown Men. We're back for another episode of your favorite adult men talking about Pretty Little Liars podcast. Definitely better than that other adult men talking about Pretty Little Liars podcast, which shall not be named. Right, obviously. Um, I'm David Greenwald. I'm, I'm Dobson Nicola. Hello. Uh, we just watched uh, Season 6, Episode 2. Um, so good. I am so happy to have a, a really emotionally grueling and serious and interesting episode to talk about. Um, this one was called Songs of Innocence yeah. after the uh, William Blake poetry uh, <laughs> slash new U- U2L. U2L. Yes. <laughs> the one where uh, Larry is... Is it Naked Larry holding his his naked son, son? His son, yes, against yeah. him. Yeah, okay. Um, yes, I, I did enjoy this episode. Uh, in fact, I commented about it frequently throughout the episode, how I was... I think we were all surprised at how much we liked this episode. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, we went and looked at who wrote and directed, and the director is this guy... Um, Good old Norman Buckley. Norman Buckley, and he's directing the next episode, too, which is exciting. And he did a bunch, or he did a handful in 5A and not so much in 5B mm-hmm. last season. So maybe this is the guy that we really like, it turns out. Yeah. Um, and the writer also... Uh, Joseph Doherty. Yeah, who did some nice episodes in the last season. Um, so, you know, I would never really thought about, you know, you see a show like this and you just assume it all comes from, the, you know... One 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 sort of brain, the same you know. brain trust. Yeah, but there are individual writers who kind of come out of the writers' room and have to sit down and write the actual thing. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I'm sure it does affect it. You know, when when Chad Lowe is directing, or when um, this guy, this gentleman Norman, is directing, or whatever. I'm sure you do get these little, these tiny little shifts. You know, so it's kind of interesting to think about. And I guess we'll see the rest of the season if there are certain episodes that are stand out or ones that seem bothersome, you know, who, uh, who was actually, has their name on it. You know, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about what I found so good about the direction. And, um, it's hard to pinpoint, uh, although we could just say Dutch angles, but there uh, was one crucial Dutch angle. It was, it was so brief, but it was, it was such a, it was so good. It was, right. it was so well, it was, well placed. It was almost like comical. Yeah. Right, it was to me like it was almost like a wink <laughs> at the audience because it's when it comes when Hannah says like, "Do you think I'm?" She's trying to clean up, her, change her room, mm-hmm. and her mom and uh, her boyfriend are looking back at each other like, "What's going on? How do we deal with stop, this?" Stop looking at me. Stop looking at me that way. And she's like, "Do you think I'm crazy?" And then immediately cuts to a Dutch angle from above their heads, um, yeah. and it's just to me it was almost like funny to mm-hmm. be like. She is crazy. Wink, wink. Here's a here's like a symbolic, visual representation of craziness, you know, mm-hmm. or of the situation being crazy. I, you know, I don't know if that was intended as cleverness or if it was intended as like actual sort of jarring, an actual like sort of jarring visual. Well, you know, like the, I, I like that you brought up the idea of symbolic craziness because a lot of the shots in this episode, while while very subtle, were did feel like some sort of, I don't know, like, uh, like I'm I'm trying to I'm I'm struggling to think of a movie to compare it to, but a movie in which uh, that takes place sort of like making people seem crazy. Actually, now now that I think of it, I would say like um, like Terry Gilliam and Twelve Monkeys, where you have a close up on a person's face and their face is almost. Uh, almost like exaggerated in the foreground and then you have a lot of space in the background in fact you have like a whole like three or uh two-thirds of the frame is empty right like do you remember like i i I saw that a lot during this episode when they'd frame people talking to each other uh especially between and this was an episode mostly between moms and daughters um yes where you'd have the characters uh their head only filling a third of the frame, usually the third right of the frame. And uh-huh. then two-thirds of the frame was empty. Right. Um, it was a very strange way to direct a episode for, um, I guess, like a, a mainstream TV show. But it reminded me of a lot of Terry Gilliam, actually. The way that he frames crazy people. Well, it creates this impression of distance, right? And of, like, not being in the center of the frame, you have this sort of impression of, like, it's not stable. It's not, 
uh, it isn't centered. It isn't, you know, I mean, just on the most blunt sort of level. Um, or almost that there's like, that there's like an unspoken headspace that exists around that we can't really pinpoint, but it, yeah, but it exists around around this person. Right. Well, yeah, I, let's, let's talk just a little bit about the, the events of the episode. I mean, this was really aftermath and these girls who have been through these three weeks that were not visualized for us dealing with trauma. And one thing that I think I was really hoping we would get in an episode like this one was seeing what went on Mm -hmm. and having them grapple with it and having, you know, not just hop into the next plot, right? But like allow time for actual character development. Mm -hmm. And this episode was pretty much just like all character development. It was all how each of these girls individually dealt with trauma. You know, Emily goes to the shooting range. She's trying to empower herself. Um, Spencer is desperate for drugs. She's desperate to escape. Um, Hannah wants to throw out anything that reminds her of that room. And she keeps saying, this is my room. That wasn't my room. Yeah. You know, trying to draw that firm line in between the two experiences. You know what's really strange about uh, about the way that the girls uh, each dealt with their trying experiences, uh, which I really... It's obvious that the show wanted to sort of, like, give you an example of, you know, here here is here's each character dealing in their own particular way with these extremely traumatic experiences. But I felt like Hannah's was the most universal where I was almost surprised that the girls didn't react in the same way that Hannah did, which was Mm -hmm. essentially seeing her room and freaking out because she couldn't be there. Right. Um, you know, and Spencer's Spencer's, uh, desire to relapse and Emily's, you know, just sort of like burying her feelings. Both of those felt, uh, authentic, but I was, I'm almost surprised that they're not dealing with the, their rooms in the same way that that Hannah is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, despite all of that, uh, this episode may be the clearest example that Arya is a, yeah, I mean, it felt really... Arya's always so sort of... It was interesting to see her be the desperate character because we've seen that from Hannah, where mm-hmm. Hannah's like, I have to do this thing now, and I'm not going to think about it. I just have to go do it. Yeah. And that's how Arya was in this episode of saying, it has to be Andrew. Um, and this was a character, you know, we don't really get her sort of vocalizing like, Oh yeah, and I totally like kissed him and was sort of dating him for two seconds. You yeah. know, it's like she's so de- so quick to be like, must have been this guy. We have to bury this problem immediately. And it felt it definitely felt questionable. Of like, why would you? You're calling this guy Charles in there for weeks. Why would Andrew invent this Charles De Laurentiis character? Right. And you've seen this home video footage of these babies, of these young children with what looks like Mrs. D, right? right? And it's like, why would she suddenly be like, oh, it has to be this guy who I was emotionally involved in in two seconds and didn't realize it was a problem. I don't know. It just seemed really funny because, you know, of course she went through that experience with Ezra where Ezra was basically this guy she couldn't trust. And here she is in the same predicament. And it seems like she just does not want to address the idea that she could be wrong that she could be a poor judge of character, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, it has to be this guy because otherwise, you know, what does that make her? If somehow he's just this shitty guy well, that, she, that she was falling for. Yeah, and and I think that there, there there's some bias that's going to come into play as I say this, but um, two things. The, 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 the storyline that rang f- falsest was Arya's, Partly because I think that she's a really false character in a lot of ways. Um, But her whole interaction with Ezra was dumb. I don't... It was just awkward, you know? It it was just like, it was just running... It felt felt very um, archetypal. Sort of like they set up these characters to be these certain things. And here they are being those things. Where 
Ezra in possibly one of the stupidest things he's ever said tells Arya that beca- essentially because she's a writer, she can deal with her feelings better than other people can. Uh-huh. Which hurts my brain to well, think this about. Well, was, this was something, you know, I don't know anything about dealing with trauma or, you know, what you're, what a professional would tell you to do, but there is a scene in The Fall, um, mm-hmm. the Gillian Anderson show, where she's talking to this victim who has survived this murderer, and she says, you know, write, sometimes writing it down helps. Yeah. Um, so it didn't seem like a strange thing to me in this episode that Ezra would bring that up as like, this is an option for you to process your feelings. Um, I don't want to get into super tangent right now, but bringing up Julian uh, Anderson, uh, Hannibal just premiered the third season. Uh-huh. Oh my God, it is so fucking good. Is she in Hannibal? She's she's like kind of a main character now. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, she's, she's all over the place now. She's become Hannibal's uh, debatab- debatably extremely reluctant lover. Mm-hmm. Um, and that show, I was very I was very reluctant about that show in the beginning, but now I can officially say it is like one of the best things on TV right now. Yeah, I keep hearing good things about it. Um, that's that's a whole other thing to talk about for another time. But hey, Julian Julian Anderson lovers, she's gonna be coming back to your TVs with X Files, but she's there right now. And the blowing there, that shit up. There are two seasons of The Fall on Netflix, and it is like, you know, it's about as dark as it gets. But it is especially season one. It's just extremely smart, incredibly watchable television, like incredibly suspenseful, um, beautifully shot, great characters, just like. Uh, 100% gripping um, and definitely recommend it and it's you know it's just like the if Pretty Little Liars is like for teenagers and for tweens The Fall is like for grown ups and like not even for 20 year olds it's like too fucked up (laughs) it's like for like serious adults who have seen some shit in their time Um, so you know if that sounds like you highly recommend it well yeah I don't want to overuse this word because I feel I I honestly feel like I, I might see this word a lot but um, the fall definitely applies to this, but uh, Hannibal is some uh, sumptuous TV. Uh-huh. It's like the kind of it's it's so beautifully shot. It's slow. I mean, I I don't I don't I I'm surprised it hasn't been canceled yet, to be honest. But um, it's just one of those shows that like you just not a whole lot happens as far as plot goes, but character development is pretty on point. Uh, and it's just it's just so beautiful. You just want to like take a uh, appropriately enough. You want to take a bite out of that out of that celluloid right there. Sure. Um, um, let's let's hop back to PLL. Sure. Um, I mean, there's not a lot plot wise that goes on, which is fine. I you know I really enjoyed seeing all the characters just like dealing with their shit and how it changed their relationship with their parents and how the parents were like. Oh, so you were kidnapped for three weeks. Do you want to talk about this? Maybe I'm going to bring up a therapist. And it was interesting to see those dynamics. And I thought, you know, the flashbacks that we saw with them playing these games where you're going to electrify your friend or whatever, um, that seemed pretty gritty and intense. And I, you know, I wanted the show to not just sort of abandon that time and have it just be this cheap gimmick in one episode. So I appreciate that they're going back and showing us like, okay, here's how gross and horrible it was, and we're just going to give you a flash of it so you get a sense, you know. I think... Th- it's just a, not something that you walk away from. It's... This is... I think... Uh, I hope this isn't the case, but I feel like this episode is the closest we're going to get to almost what we want out of the situation, because mm-hmm. um, not only was this episode most compelling when it sort of just ab- abandoned plot points... Uh-huh. But by the end of the episode, it was clear that the girls are now talking again. Right. So it's like they've whatever trauma they inflicted upon each other that they that is was, you know, uh, so difficult to deal with that <clears throat> they can't even speak about it. They start calling each other by the end, so now they're like basically gonna like, you know, bind back together. Right. Which they're, is they're, they're fine. gonna they're gonna squat up as they say. Squat up for sure. Uh, but, but, the thing that's great about Pretty Little Liars is that just when you think things are going to be cool again, Arya introduces this new lie that she saw Andrew's face. 
And so there's always a lie, even when the liars don't have to lie. And that's sort of one of the fundamental things. I mean, it's like great, right? Because it's one of the fundamental things of the show is it's all about like, you know, hey, the truth will set you free and you choose not to. You don't have to, but you choose not to put yourself in that position. Yeah. And it's the show is always sort of implying if you had just been honest, you wouldn't have to be in this position, you know. And we see an interesting moment with um, um, with Allison where she goes to meet the hunky new love interest slash, slash police officer. Lorenzo. And His name is fucking Lorenzo, which is just, that's such a Lothario type name. Well, has the same opening letter as Lothario, so it feels kind of like a sexy. <laughs> and ends with you're the already, same. You're already thinking, the same closing. Line. You're already thinking about it. Um, <laughs> but you know, she runs into him in church, and at the end of the episode, she goes to see him at you know the restaurant or whatever, because no one actually eats at home in Rosewood. Everyone eats out all the time. Also, only available women are eighteen or younger. Right. Only only uh, tra- traumatized high school girls are the. Clearly, who you should try to date if you're right. if you're a new guy in Rosewood, um, a new you know. Well, maybe he's new on the force. Maybe he's like twenty two. He's newish, as he, according to him, he's yeah, newish. He's newish. But she goes to him, and she, it seems like, is having a moment of honesty where she's like, "Let me explain to you why I was awkward at church or whatever." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Whoa, Allison, not manipulating a person, right. you know." And that was kind of a nice moment, even though it was in this sort of yet another. Uh, gross, shoved-in love interest. Like, yeah. can't have two seconds without another boy. You right, know? another sexy boy. Right. With his aquiline nose. Like, God forbid we have an episode where it's just, like, the girls dealing with this, like, intense tragedy that they've been facing. You have to introduce another cute boy. You can't just let it be, like, traumatic. Well, you know, speaking of that, what was so strange is, you know, there's that, there's that rare scene between uh, Allie and Spencer where Allie goes over to Spencer's house, whatever, and they drink orange juice. And uh, Spencer says, you know, I can never thank you for saving us. And Allie's response is, you would have done the same for me. And Spencer, of course, doesn't say anything and just, like, sort of gapes at her. It's like, duh. Well, because they wouldn't have. Because Allie came back and, like, morphed into this villainous, psychopathic character. Well, right. But what's so crazy about that whole situation is... Despite all of the, all of the insane, incomprehensible tragedy that has befallen these girls, Allie's response for for the the whole impetus behind her helping her friends or not friends or whoever these people who have been in her life was you would have done the same for me. And it honestly does not feel like Allie has progressed at all as a character when she says something like that because right. it is still as self-absorbed and myopic as. It always was for this character who lived an adventurous lifestyle, but was never mature and never really had any sort of, I don't know, uh, epiphany when it came to the greater world that she was living in. Yeah. Well, I think I think we did see her at the end of the last season beginning to, you know, she talks about how prison changes her. I, you know, I yeah, wanna... she went to fucking prison. I keep right. forgetting that. Right. Yeah, and she was in there <laughs> for a long time. You know, I was at the beginning of season five. I was like an alley believer. I wanted to really think yeah. like, all right, she's gonna be authentic, and she's showing us real emotions that she's dealing with, and she, you know, she's a changed person. Blah blah blah. She's been running from this horrible thing. She's the victim, and then it becomes clear throughout five A and B that she. You know, is maybe not the victim, is maybe not trustworthy, and I really appreciate at the end of last season and the beginning of this season, her reconnecting a bit or or being humbled in some way and coming across as more of like an altered character. And I guess that's what the show is always dealing with is like how much trauma can you take before you learn these lessons, you know, before you grow, what has to happen to you in your life for you to grow up, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've talked about how the show is about the terror of adulthood, yeah. you know? And so what it takes for one of these characters to grow, I mean, you look at Arya, and she has abandoned growth in this in this episode, you know? She's gone right back into, well, lying is my way out of this, even though it's never the way out. Yeah. You know, she's just so desperate to do something. And that almost feels like pushiness on the, on the part of the plot. But, you know, she also killed somebody, not too long ago. Well, and so she's sort of in this like very like 
panicky position. Plus, she has her mother. I mean, I don't know any other... Even Spencer's mom. And Spencer is an obvious genius. Like, no other mother looks at, at one of the liars and says, you know, you you are a wise person. Right. When Arya's, like, clearly not wise at all. Yeah. I think that, you know, but... When is when has Arya ever displayed any sort of wisdom? Right. Right. I, yeah, that was a funny... You know, that was, like, her mom being very kind mm-hmm. to her daughter. You know? <laughs> and trying to be like, you are more intelligent than this. You need to come come pick yourself up and think about this for a second. And I'm going to put that in the form of a compliment instead of <laughs> calling you an idiot. You know, I'm going to hope that you rise to this definition that I'm giving you, um, which knowing Arya is not going to be the case. Um, we saw some, a bit more of Sarah. We've learned a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. We get the sort of questioning of was Andrew Charles? I mean, you know. Sort of obviously Andrew's not going to be Charles because the show is always faking us out. Uh, and the liars, uh, the liars are sort of coming around to this idea that, okay. Yeah. Also, we need to talk for two seconds about how Andrew is basically like this misogynist like gamer gator dude. Yeah. That was basically like the big thing was he was against like the feminization of, of society. Uh, or of like his like knowledgeable team or whatever. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, it's dark. And it's, like, pretty topical, but also it's kind of hilarious. I, I mean, honestly, I never got that impression of Andrew either at right. all. You just got the impression that he didn't like Mona. Right. Because he was, like, clearly interested in Spencer and clearly interested in Arya. But maybe he, you know what we're seeing? Or maybe, maybe what this is about is that, you know, he was, like, the whipping boy for so long who got, like, who was, like, Spencer turned to him when it was convenient. Mm-hmm. right and Arya turned to him when it was convenient right and he just got like sick of being like the secondary guy this like nice guy right who thought he was like getting his brownie points to like get past the friend zone and it never worked out for him so there is sort of like the i mean it's kind of glossed over it in this episode like oh he had a manifesto whatever you know but there is sort of like i think we did see bits of that in the in the show it doesn't come out of nowhere so, you know, I almost think that like this, like I, I, I I'm going to say this, I like this episode, but I'm going to, I'm going to criticize how, how it was structured because very, okay. So very early in the episode, you have uh, plot points sort of getting shoved in and they felt really jarring. Um, the episode eventually found its pace and it became very good. But at the beginning you have two things. One is Allie confronts her dad which is just a really awkward scene in general. Right. It's an awkward shot. It comes out right of nowhere. It's very plotty. Yeah. And 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 Allie's dad, the the guy who plays Allie's dad is just like so unbelievable. It's 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 hard to, it's almost he's, hard to follow. He's this very wooden. It's yeah. a very wooden performance. And then that's followed very closely by uh, Toby going all aggro uh, when he catches Andrew. And it like looks at you know that's when you first meet Lorenzo, which is which is a really w- weird way to introduce a new character is to have Toby be like no bro no bro leave me alone I'm gonna beat this guy up like just leave me alone and Lorenzo's right. like no we gotta follow protocol bro yeah do your job uh, and then yeah and that's the only time we see Andrew and then uh, this is sort of surrounded by all the liars and pretty much everyone being convinced that Andrew is a. Now, if you wanted to structure the episode properly, I think that you would leave that stuff for the end because then you have you then you can focus the rest of the episode on or the 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 beginning meat of the episode on the liars dealing with a traumatic experience without this sort of like plot plotty burden of Andrew being arrested right. that is never resolved during the episode at all. Like leave it at the end, then you have the cliffhanger, which will bring you to the next episode where you can start to develop the plot a bit more. And you have the question of who is Charles hanging over the end of the episode. I, it just felt like it was such a weirdly structured episode because all the stuff that happened in the beginning should have been re, like reserved for the end. Sure. When you didn't, when the whole time you weren't just being like, what, like, what the fuck? Like, are, are we just going to assume that Toby arrests Andrew and they're holding him in a jail cell and no one is asking him any fucking questions at all. And everyone's just like, yeah, Andrew is A. 
and we don't see any of the other side of like what is and because the first thing Andrew says is let me explain. Like that's the when he, like when Toby's pummeling him in the face. Right. Andrew's like, "Whoa, bro, let me explain." Right. You know, and it's like, yeah, let let him explain. Right. Yeah. Well, we do see there's that scene of him being interviewed toward the end, and he looks pretty um, aggressive. He looks like he's trying to be like, "I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. I was just hired by somebody to like listen in on their Bluetooth conversations for some reason because I'm a crazy person." But yeah, I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious that he's not Charles. Right. Because there's two ep- two seasons of show left. You know, it's the same thing with like these, you know, you know that Captain America 3 is coming out, so they can't kill off Captain America and Captain <laughs> America 2. You know, you have two more seasons of Pretty Little Liars, so you know you can't deal with, there has to be more Charles. Yeah. Um, and of course there's more Charles because the show's been playing up this whole twin thing for, for so long. Oh, yeah. You know, the De Laurentiis le- the twist of De Laurentiis legacy has to play out. Mm. You know, we have to go back to Radley. Um, we have to deal with mrs d like there's a lot of stuff that needs to get untangled yeah um but yeah i'm i'm intrigued to see what happens next i'm intrigued to see what they do with sarah who is a total wild card to me um could end up being an evil character certainly that's certainly a potential thing um should we should we put this down on paper so we've we've talked a little bit off off air about uh a a theory i don't remember where i got this theory from kind of stumbled upon Just out of the magical the magic uh, of your brain yeah uh that uh that sarah harvey is is charles uh-huh. and this is a and it's a little hard to stomach in this episode um but that it's like the most brilliant escape plan that charles could have ever put together is to pose as a as a as a male and actually be this female uh-huh who's then basically like whisked out but if that were an escape plan, I don't know if Sarah Harvey would just hang around unless unless this is kind of like this obsessive weirdness. I mean, she like, runs away to come be with the liars Yeah. after allegedly going home with her mom. And the show makes a point of telling us, oh, I don't know if that was her mom. That was just some lady who's probably her mom, mm-hmm. you know? So we really don't know who that person was. And then when she's talking to uh, Emily and Nia Peoples... Uh, Nia Peoples asks her, like, oh, should I call your mom? And she's like, you could try. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, okay, well, then I'll just make up the couch for you. Yeah, it was all (laughs) very questionable. And you can see how, you know, Emily and her mom would be like, yo, this is crazy. We're just going to take you at your word Mm -hmm. because you were held captive for two years. But, you know, there's definitely, it could go, it could all go badly. Mm-hmm. It could certainly all go badly. And I would like it to because that's always when things are interesting on this show <laughs> is when people are villains. When we think people are villains, that's when the show is the most fun, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. Um, cool. Are we? Everyone, are, everyone's evil. Well, I think that brings us to the end of season six, episode two. <laughs> um, the end of season six. Yes, we're done. We're done with the show. Um, should we... I mean, we can... We cut, should we cut now and do a second episode about Game of Thrones or should we chat about Game of Thrones now? Or what? Well, what do you it, think, viewers at home? Tweet us right now. No, just kidding. We're gonna cut this out. <laughs> no, you're never no. gonna hear this. This is not. This won't make it to air. Uh, I think we can we can uh, hard pivot into uh, Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, spoilers ahoy! Yeah. Uh, season five. Season five, uh, episode episode eight. nine. Not eight or nine, yeah. It's nine. Oh, okay. Episode nine, I Game of Thrones. It. We did talk a little bit about Game of Thrones last week. Um, people seemed to like that, and we we enjoyed it. So yeah, we'll we'll dig in a little bit. This was like the most fucked up episode. Well, yeah, you and know... also the coolest episode because there's a dragon breathing fire, mm-hmm. and I, I said this in my my newsletter, which you can sign up for on Mailchimp. Uh, if you so choose. Uh, but I said this today. I was like, the show is giving us the most aggravating, horrible human behavior, but also the coolest CGI fantasy stuff that we've been waiting for. Like, mm-hmm. White Walkers in episode eight. Dragon going crazy in episode nine. Yep. Like, that's what we signed up for five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like, show us the cool shit. And the yep. show is finally building to that level. And at the same time, it's like, but here's also the most, like, abhorrent, unnecessary plot stuff. 
Right. Well, th- that's what's so strange is like we're, you know, episode seven has what we talked about last time has the, you know, a nice, and this almost sounds like a, like a myth, but the, like the rape of Sansa. And, right. uh, and I think that we came down on, on sort of the side of, it wasn't handled that well, but what else can you expect from the show, really? Right. Um, but then, yeah, and then and then the next episode you have the biggest set piece that's ever been filmed on the show um, with uh, the hard home battle. Right. The zombie hard, hard home battle. Amazing. Which just like starts and then just keeps, keeps going. Right. And there's like this one beautiful shot where Jon Snow is just like running through the scene and he slices a white walker in half yeah. and the guy just explodes. And you're like, oh man, Valerian steel. <laughs> and that's just like, yes, that's what I wanted out of this show is yeah. like insane magic things happening. Right. Um, and then, and then this, this episode, which, you know, there was two really sort of, gut-wrenching moments and you know matter how i think no matter how you feel about this show as a real work of art you have to admit that it just it's got a real knack for grabbing you and sort of like holding you into the last moments sure uh in a really stupendous and admirable way because you know i thought that that the the scene in which you know drogon comes back and starts torching some motherfuckers, right. and and then uh, Daenerys climbs on the dragon's back, and you're like, oh my god, she's finally fucking riding her dragon. Right, right. And then the dragon flies away, and then there's that last shot, which we've already mentioned Terry Gillum, but I was thinking about this earlier. There's that last shot where you see Drogon fly away, and the camera pans down to a close-up of Tyrion, and then... Uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever the other guys, the other, the other folks. Yeah. Uh, and it's such, it's, it's framed as it looks like a Terry Gilliam shot. Uh-huh. Like it's, it's so, it's such a cool, just a, just like one of those like great ineffable shots where you don't know like why it's so great, but it's just such a cool shot. I, I'm still waiting for Tyrion to say, holy shit, a dragon. <laughs> That's what I want from Game of Thrones season five, maybe in episode 10. You know, he's just sort of been like, well, it's funny because he's such a man of words and he sees these dragons and he has like nothing to say. He's just like dumbfounded. But I would love to see him say, holy shit. You know shit, what's so great about that is, uh, I, you know, I've been, the new Jurassic World is coming out this week, I think. Hell yeah. Uh, which I want to see it. But, you know, the, the best, I think the reason that the original Jurassic Park is still a classic movie is that... It is imbued with this idea of astonishment. Yes. Where it's like, not only do the people in the movie just are basically dumbfounded through the whole movie that they are experiencing these dinosaurs, but yeah. as uh, as an audience, you know, I remember going to see it in the theater and just being so fucking stoked at what I was seeing. Right. Uh, what was that, 94? So I was 11 years old. and And just being like, holy shit, this is, like, the greatest cinematic thing that I've ever seen. It's, like, taking all of my deepest fantasies about what movies can do and making it seem super real. Right. And, but every Jurassic Park movie since then confronts you with the basic action tropes, which are just people put into these spectacles and... It's it's amazing, but they're never they never express the kind of astonishment that a human being would express when confronted with uh, what is essentially unbelievable. Right. It's just empty action. It's it doesn't capture that Spielbergian sense of awe. Right. And which, so which you get in Close Encounters. Yeah. And E. T. and Jurassic Park. Which is just people confronted with the unbelievable and reacting accordingly. Right. And I loved that about this new episode of Game of Thrones where Tyrion just like fucking just is like agape at what is happening. Right. He's never seen this. He doesn't, he maybe doesn't believe it exists. And right. Here it is, breathing fire in his yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I think that is so, yeah. And even, you know, Jon Snow dealing with these white walkers and like getting on the that scene that shot where he's on the boat mm-hmm. and the king of the white walkers raises his hand and everyone just becomes a zombie <laughs> and Jon Snow's just like staring at him like 
holy shit, <laughs> what just happened? Uh, and he's just like absorbing it. And you feel that sense of like the overwhelmingness of it. And that really comes through and it comes right off the TV. Mm-hmm. And I love that feeling. That's what you, you know, that's kind of what you want mm-hmm. when you're watching one of these shows. You know, I mean, you want quippy dialogue or you want interesting scenarios and foreign lands and whatever the hell. But, you know, you kind of want to be, to me, you watch something that's science fiction or fantasy or special effects heavy and you want to not believe it. You want to be like, whoa, I can't believe I just saw that. Yeah. I mean, that's why I have such an affection for the Marvel movies and especially the first Avengers because you see the Hulk fighting Thor and you're like, whoa. (laughs) You know, it's like something you've never seen in a movie before. Yeah. And even in the last um, Superman movie, the Zack Snyder movie, which I think has some pretty serious flaws, um, but, you know, people criticize the action, but there are some sh- some shots in there, you okay. know, some some camera angles where Superman is, like, punching a guy up into space, and there's some things that happen in there, you know, I'd never seen in a movie before. And it's like, oh, what's that? I, what's this new thing? I legitimately enjoyed that Superman movie. I thought it was I, I kind of hate movie. Zack Snyder, but I like that movie. Um, I agree on both counts. Uh, I... I do, I do, there is something about the Game of Thrones uh, that I've been liking about this season a lot, uh, which is the parallels that they've been setting up with, um, with, uh, with the idea of parenthood. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I think that in the past couple episodes, so they had, um, there's Ramsey Bolton and Roose Bolton. Uh, Roose Bolton, who is obviously as fucked up as his like severely psychopathic son uh maybe hides it a little bit better sure but essentially saying you're my son you're a bastard but you're still my son like i could have i could have you know left you to the the wolves but um, you're still my son so i'm still going to raise you to this position uh and that's paralleled with uh cersei and tommen cersei basically saying i will do anything for you right um and then uh, Stannis and Shireen. Right. Stannis basically saying, you were going to go, you were going to basically be exiled to Valyria with all the other stone people, uh, but I saved you. Right, because you're my daughter. Because you're my daughter. That is broken in this most recent episode when Stannis yes. finally allows uh, Melisandre to sacrifice Shireen. In an extremely intense situation. Um, I mean, it's just... It's the hardest thing to watch in the show so far. I mean, the Red Wedding also right. was was completely insane. But, you know, at least that's just sort of raw gore, you mm-hmm. know, whereas this is like, yeah, we're going to watch, you're going to torture this child who you've grown to have great affection for and you think, you think is protected because, you know, her dad uh, has defended her in previous episodes, you know, and has gone to great lengths to... to protect her and has this special affection for her. Um, there were there were two things I thought were interesting about what they did. Mm-hmm. One was this sort of very blunt parallel between the Stannis scene and the Daenerys scene, which followed immediately, where you have basically one, you know, these are the two people who essentially are going to duke it out for the Iron Throne, right? Mm-hmm. They both have a claim to the throne. And so the show is like, let's completely contrast them. Let's have Stannis sacrifice his daughter and you see his very like emotionless reaction to the most intense violence you could imagine and then you have Daenerys who is like squeamish and doesn't want to deal with this this senseless violence Mm -hmm. you know because essentially you could make the argument I guess that sacrificing his daughter is for the this god he believes in and there's this other aspect to it but you know essentially it's this senseless human sacrifice yeah. And what was happening in the fighting pits is the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a senseless human sacrifice, which, you know, entertains people instead of makes them queasy. So you have sort of this complete coin flip of this situation of, of death and uh, this uh, monarch's reaction to death, mm-hmm. right? But also there's the idea of parenthood in that because her dragon comes to save her. Yeah. Basically from the spectacle of blood where... The parallel is that Stannis sacrifices his daughter for because of her blood, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this really, it draws this real hard line and it's almost the show sort of telling you in no uncertain terms, okay, which of these characters do you align yourself with? Yeah. You know, which of these do you think is the hero? And what's, and what's even more complicated about that is place yourself in Stannis' shoes, remove all morality, place yourself in his shoes. He has no reason not to believe that this sacrifice isn't going to totally help him. Sure. Everything, he absolutely believes it. And right. he, he says, you know, no reason not to believe. Right. Yeah. And the show sets it up in such a way where you're, you're sort of not supposed to empathize with him so much, but you're supposed to sort of get it a little bit that he's yeah. basically forced in a situation where he's trying to convince himself, well, I don't have a choice. This is the, this is where fate has led me. And uh-huh. this is the only thing I can do. Otherwise we all die. And I sacrifice, I don't live up to my destiny. Yeah. You know, and it's like, is your destiny more important than your daughter? Okay, you made that. You did make a choice. Well, you know what's really strange about that is, I believe, I, I believe it now, uh, what his destiny is, and I, I understand the situation that he's in, but also, it's hard, it's hard to stomach, and this is going back pretty far. This is going back, obviously, to the end of the first and beginning of the second season, um, is why, besides very tenuous ideas about how the throne descended, uh, or how the bloodline moves, is it's hard to believe that his destiny is actually the Iron Throne. Right. You know, it's like his, his middle brother basically won the throne through violence. Right. Um, and then somehow he is owed the throne because he's the oldest brother of the usurper of the throne. Right. It's a very, and I mean, like, I understand it in, in very strict, non-emotional terms, but for someone who is essentially placing their whole reason for being on the destiny of what he thinks is, is owed him... It's, it's pretty. Dumb. It's pretty thin, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So it's like, and and also on top of the fact that you know he got his ass handed to him at Blackwater, he has been lucky enough to be the only one who listened to Jon Snow to go north, and so he's got that. But you know he's got this like threadbare army that can't survive in the north. They're getting. They're already getting picked off by Ramsay Bolton's little like raiders. It, it's just to. to to continue to believe that he has a destiny that he thinks is worth fulfilling, despite everything that is being shown to him, is hard to... It's hard to... If, if we're supposed to align ourselves with someone, it's hard to align ourselves with him. Right. No, I've, absolutely. And I don't think we're supposed to align. I think we're supposed to see him as like, well, you know, here's this guy who just sort of gets trapped in this vision of something and, you know... I, one thing that I don't like about the show is that it sort of just bludgeons us over and over with, like, telling you what the character is. And it doesn't do it with certain characters. I mean, with, um, you know, characters like Tyrion or Jon Snow or whatever, like, sort of are three-dimensional and have depth, and we see them go through different life choices and so on. But, you know, with, with Stannis, even, or with this character um, who is the, the bodyguard guy... Um, to this Tyrell character, and we see oh, him. Yeah. We see him in the. Uh, he goes to the brothel, and you know he's essentially looking to go and rape this child virgin as his goal, and going oh, to this brothel. Oh, yeah. Marin Trant. The the the, the, the who Arya is probably going to kill. Right. Who? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And it's just like you know, we don't need to be reminded that this is presumably a bad character. Yeah. And the show is like, well, in case you didn't think this character was bad, let's just make sure you think he's the worst possible character. And it's just like, it doesn't leave room. There are so many characters where it does leave room for gray area. Mm -hmm. And so it's frustrating when the show is like, yeah, no gray area with this guy. He's just a complete monster. What I really hate when people say, and is... I feel like this is said by people who defend the show uh, against like unknown 
unknown critics. It's sure. just like they're just like setting up their steel barriers against criticism. Yeah. Is when they're like, uh, this show is based on a very specific point in human history, and this is just how it was in the medieval ages. Right. And it's like, okay, kind of, but also, like, it wasn't like everyone in the medieval times were, like, fucking rapist monsters. Right. Like, every single dude. (laughs) Every single dude who lived in the Middle Ages. Just, like, literally the worst person ever. You know? I mean, yeah. that Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's just sort of like, yeah, these were gritty times, so this strip's gritty. Like, just fucking deal with it, man. Well, I think the counter to that argument is, like, you know what? In 2015, there's human trafficking, and Mm -hmm. there's cops on the street you know, shooting unarmed black children. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's plenty of gritty shit happening right now right. in real life on the news. Yeah. You know, and not every TV show is presenting us with the absolute worst aspects of human behavior every time. Right. I mean, making art of any kind is like a series of choices, mm-hmm. right? And so Game of Thrones is choosing to show us this horrible shit week after week after week, mm-hmm. and they don't need to do that. No. You know, these things could exist in this fantasy fictional world and you don't have to see them all the time. You know, there are other things that will be interesting that will be entertaining. And this is proven repeatedly by the show's best moments when it isn't wallowing in the fucking like degradation of Of humankind or women in general. Yeah. Women especially. Yeah. Like it's. I, this season is such an such a series of extremes. The best moments in the show, but next to the worst moments in the show. Right, right. Not the worst in like the hardest to watch, but the worst in like literally the worst done moments of the show. Right. I mean, I don't think we learn anything. I don't think it moves the plot forward. I think it's just shock value. Yeah. It's just. It's just exactly. It's just meant to be horrific. And you have to, when you see these things over and over, I mean, you have to wonder, the creators of the show, do they enjoy this? Do they take some grotesque pleasure in, in having these elements of the show? Like, why would you not, do they feel an obligation to, to not look away from this gritty, fake reality that they are inventing, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, it becomes very strange of like, why, when you watch something like this, even a show like The Fall, The Fall is like just the most horrible things you could imagine, but you know it's a whole show around that, yeah. and it's about you know this this cop trying to sort of rescue these women and stop this guy, and how close is she to that monster, yeah. and what does it say about her that she's so invested in this case, and you know it 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 does have like actual ideas to explore through this like intense grotesque horror. But Game of Thrones really does not. It's just for the sake of, you know, um, exploitation and yeah. and disgustingness. And I agree with that because you know a perfect example is and and honestly, like I've I've read half of the fifth book, so I'm not sure what of the second half of, of Dance of Dragons is in the in the show or not. But um, you know, with with Arya's plot line. And now she's she's got a chance to murder someone who's on her like quiet whisper list, uh, who she's finally run into. Um, I think that the show would do a lot better if it if it made the character that she wants to kill someone that she can see as human. But she experiences this character as a deplorable piece of shit. Right. And, and so it's just like, well, of course that guy needs to die. Right, like it's just like confirmation. Like I'm definitely gonna kill this guy that I already wanted to kill. Which it doesn't move any plot forward. Right, and it doesn't develop Arya's character at all because here she is, at in this like weird religious cult where she is trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong. Yeah, should I kill this thin man or not? Right, and but she's presented with this idea that is basically just like you you should kill this person. There is no choice. Right, he's a piece of shit. Right. And it just sort of like takes her, her, all of her character development, all this very existential uh, turmoil that she's going through, and it takes it a few steps back because it's just like, well, you fucking killed this guy. Like, he's a piece of shit. I agree. It completely undercuts what's going on with her earlier Mm -hmm. in the episode. Yeah. Where she's thinking about killing this guy or not. 
Right. And, and now she no longer has to deal with it because this other thing comes up. Right, exactly. And and I think this, the, the, that sort of points to the biggest problem of Game of Thrones, which is um, where is where is that ambiguity? Where is the, where is the moral questions that we are faced with when we when we have to face the difficult questions of what is right and what is wrong? And you look at a show like Game of Thrones and they or, or the Ice and Fire books and just say like the whole point is that there is no good guy and there is no bad guy. It is all people surviving and dealing with the moral amb- ambiguity of, of catastrophe on a worldwide scale. Right. And to have that reduced to black and white questions or black and white decisions, it, I feel like it, like it does. It undercuts the, the beauty of the story. Well, even, even with, you know, Daenerys ruling this kingdom where she's basically come in and doesn't know the traditions and doesn't know the history and mm-hmm. is trying to kind of impose this healthier new world order and it's not going well and we've seen her kind of grappling with oh what's the best decision to make who should be advising me what how do i how do i like rule this kingdom and she's dealing with like the reality of being the ruler instead of the savior and that's all been like really interesting and cool to see yeah. uh, and a moment of like an opportunity for her to grow and learn and become this like future queen of um, the seven kingdoms right yeah. but mm-hmm. then in this episode she makes this choice she makes these ostensibly wise choices to open the fighting pits to marry yeah. this guy to deepen her ties to this kingdom and respect its tradition and then even though she does that the order of the harpy or whatever the the um, yeah. former ruling class are like, yeah, no, still don't like you. Still mm-hmm. gonna try to kill you. And she has to fly out on a dragon. And she's like, well, no, there were no decisions that were good. Yeah. Decision making was like irrelevant to what was going to happen to you. And her her poor husband, which oh, to, yeah. to be honest, like she hated him, but I never like thought he was that bad of a guy. No. That was a bummer. He just got real nonchalantly stabbed repeatedly right. in the stomach. Right. That was dark. It was <laughs> just, a bummer sequence. Ja, 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 ja. He got shibbed like he was in jail. Yeah. It like, was not Like not two so prisoners good. passing the lunch line. Holy fuck. Yeah, that was brutal. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I guess the show's always been brutal. I guess there's really no getting away from it, and we shouldn't That's be... That's true. It is repeatedly brutal. And, yeah, so there's only so surprised you can... Be at it. Nevertheless, I think us taking issue with it and doing so on a podcast where people will hear it, I think is a good good thing to do. I think mm-hmm. having the conversation is worthwhile and not just sort of blithely watching it and being like, yeah, whatever. You know, because I think it's the same reason why we critique Pretty Little Liars is that we want it to be better. We want it to be great art. We want it to be moving and smart and we want it to, we want to like gain something from it and we don't want to feel smarter than it or more moral than it Mm -hmm. or you know um we don't want to feel like above it because then why are we watching it you know well it does it does sort of you know i think that that maybe these two episodes that we're discussing which are very good episodes of these shows that we both are very engaged with um but we are we are engaging with these shows at the most popular that they have ever been that's true. And so I think that, you know, maybe what we're questioning at some level is whether or not we will ever get what we want when something that we love is as popular as it is. Right. Which brings it to a certain level of financial necessity and crowd-pleasing necessity. Right. And it imposes all of these other pressures on it instead of it just being something that someone kind of got to go make by themselves and then bring out to the world. Right, and I think that, you know, this is fine, and I'm I'm fine to deal with this, but even in the small amount of criticism that we've received about this podcast, most of it stems from the fact that we think too hard about Pretty Little Liars. And the question is sort of like, well, you know, we're not going to please everybody. You either like like it and you just talk about how much you like it, or you criticize it and you're going to piss off some people who... Never criticize it. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that people 
Um, you know, we don't always agree on every point, and I'm sure people listening don't agree with us on every point. And like, you know, I, that's straight. They should. <laughs> I mean, to me, the goal of the whole thing is to like have an actual dialogue and just be thinking about it and just you know talk about our experience of of watching and enjoying or disliking these things you know and having it happen in a way that is not like i'm right and you're wrong or this is the perspective to have or this is bad and this is good and you know you see so much of that kind of conversation happening on the internet and on twitter and so on and like you know i really enjoy that we can just kind of have this open forum and kind of work through these ideas and it makes you know as someone who like is a professional critic and is writing about not tv every day but you know is writing about things from the same perspective like to me this is like sharpening sharpening my uh my axe you mm -hmm. know i feel like i get a lot out of having these kinds of discussions and you know i'm i'm amazed that we have so many people uh who are along for the ride and are listening in so you know i i appreciate you and uh, hopefully you're getting something out of these live discussions because <laughs> I'm I th I'm having a great time. I think we both you know yeah. do this because do we're doing this for fun. You know we do it because we enjoy it. But um, is this becoming a half Game of Thrones podcast? Pretty little. Well, grown. there's only one more Game of Bros episode. Game of Bros. Pretty pretty little grown throne. Yeah. Grown. <laughs> yeah, I think we can. We'll, we'll do we'll do a split episode on the next one too. We might as well. We talk about the Game of Thrones finale. And we'll talk about episode three. Is Game of Thrones, it's, I thought it was like 12 episodes. I think it's just 10. Oh my God. I think it's just 10. Because it always leads up, the last couple episodes are crazy, and then it goes into sort of the the, the epilogue episode. Well, I know that in Dance of Dragons, the last you see of Daenerys is that she flies away on, on Drogon. Okay. That's like, then, then her story's done. I feel like the next episode is just going to be more ice battling. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be Stannis leading his army with the power of Lord of Light. The one thing I want to ask about Game of Thrones is that what is going on with this mythology? Because, okay, mm -hmm. we have Stannis as Lord of Light, who's mm -hmm. like a real thing. We have this idea... Monotheism. That's a monotheistic god. We have the idea of the old gods and the new gods. Mm -hmm. We have the... We know the old gods are a thing because we've had... We've run into, like, magic trees and shit, you yeah. know... And, and visions and powers and stuff that come from the old gods. Mm -hmm. But then we have this idea of the many-faced god, yeah. which uh, is the god of Bravos, mm -hmm. who is the seven gods or the 14 gods or who knows how many gods the many-faced god is supposed to stand in on. I'm not completely clear. So does that mean we have like these battling magic forces as well? Or is there like a single uh, deity? Is the Lord of Light, in fact the one god or is that actually just this like you know dark black magic demon character mm -hmm. it's hard to tell it's hard to tell what the show is trying to put forward as because to me it all is sort of playing out as um a very sort of almost like the crusades like a sort of a, a battle of cultures right i mean we're seeing that with like the sparrows or right. the um what are they called the uh Oh yeah, yeah, the the like the super religious monk warriors or whatever they're right, who are basically supposed to be like the Knights Templar or whatever. Yeah, with their seven point star. Yeah, um, yeah, and but you know you wonder that if if there is a destiny that's supposed to be supposed to be playing out, and you know the books are called uh, a Song of Ice and Fire, and so. I, and I don't think this is an original thought, but a lot of people are sort of just saying like that mean that represents Jon Snow and Daenerys, and that eventually like the 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 natural sort of um, uh, I guess like conclusion would be if the, those two got together, or uh -huh. if those two were related, because right. there's a lot of uh, uh, rumors about Jon Snow actually being. Um, uh, uh, Eddard's sister actually being his his nephew, right? So he actually is like the next. I think because she like Eddard's sister was killed in the the war that put Robert Baratheon into power, and she I think she was basically part of the line that would be the the, the ruler of the kingdoms. And so, essentially, like, he's the next in line. Right. And then 
Daenerys is also sort of the next in line. So they're basically like the... Oh, okay. The, they're, they're, they should be... They're the rightful rulers. I see. Interesting. Um, and, and, you know, he is ice and she is fire. Right. Uh, I always thought of that as being like, well, we're going to see White Walkers fight dragons. Well, yeah. I mean, right. That too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's sort of like, you know, what the show seems to be building to as well. They're going to come from the north, but also we have these three dragons. Although three dragons versus like five million zombies does not seem great. Right. I mean, we see like Drogon is not this like sort of... uh, Lord of the Rings-esque dragon who can just, like, shrug off spears and be like, that ain't no thing. Right, no. He you know, he's, like, hurt. getting... Yeah, he's like, oh, no, I'm Although, a wild beast. him torching some some dudes was pretty sweet. Pretty sick. Uh, but, yeah, but that is, like, the... I think that's the biggest question, really, is, like, what like what do the White Walkers want to do? Why would... It's it's almost like either, either the show takes place in what is essentially a chaotic most nihilistic universe or there's a point behind why the white walkers want to destroy every living thing well they just want to conquer everything because that's what people do i guess but doesn't that does that seem is that does that feel like enough of an answer like is that evil is evil because it's evil i don't know i mean i guess it depends on the genesis of like this guy the the king under the knight's king or whatever yeah. the lead the lead white walker and there are some interesting theories online about who he is and his situation but you know i i oh, think what it, were some of those theories well that he was originally he was uh the lord commander of the knight's watch you know thousands of years ago and he originally was a stark potentially mm-hmm. and so maybe he recognizes uh he recognizes his his own blood when he looks at Jon snow um but, you know, it seems like it comes from this particular leader who has decided to go back and try to destroy the world of men versus, you know, there's not like 500 White Walkers just like, you know, sitting around the dinner table like, hmm, what should we do tonight? You know, yeah. what should we do tonight, Brain? The same thing we do every night, White Walker Pinky. <laughs> try to take over the world. Uh, yeah. But I, mean, yeah, I think it just comes down to, you know, Conqueror is going to conquer. It's just the nature of the Game of Thrones universe is that, you know, you have to rule through brutality and fear because that's just the thing. So does that mean that uh, that Bran has been, you know, chilling, like, uh, training Mr. Miyagi style up in the far north with the, the, like, the great three-eyed crow? Yeah, Bran is, Bran is straight up in, like, Dragon Ball Z right now. Yeah. Where he's just like training and training and training mm. and trying to reach his like final form or whatever. <laughs> he mount, mounted upon Hodor. Well, I mean, Hodor's just Hodor. Hodor. It's really funny how Hodor has never become a full character. Hodor is always going to be this sort of like vessel. Right. Well, I think what everyone like, would, like a tauntaun. What I would like to see, and for you know, don't you want to see Bran? Don't you want to see Bran warg into a dragon? And oh my god, that, you, yeah, that, and why like, wouldn't that happen? Yeah, exactly, why would that not happen? Um, or into a troll or whatever. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think the reason to watch this show is like, well, why wouldn't that happen? Clearly the show is going to show us that thing happening. And yeah. like, that's why you sort of stick around and then you have to deal with all this other, you know, the sort of shoveled garbage of human nature that it also is presenting us with. Maybe Brand has already warged warged into a dragon and that was that was Bran saving Daenerys Mm, could be could be I felt like she was closing her eyes to like summon her dragon and he just popped out of nowhere because he just like he just knew he was gonna be needed just like oh yeah just hanging out just over there 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 are some uh very cliche uh saving grace moments in this episode too when um like when uh, uh his face the, the knight Daenerys' knight oh um, fuck what's his name there's so many names on this show Trogdor uh, Trogdor the Burninator the Burninator no no yeah no yeah what's his name who's got who's becoming a stone man uh the, yeah not Jorah Jorah Mormont yes when Jorah was gonna get killed and then he didn't because right. there's other guy that you knew was gonna kill the, the the big brute guy right right like you knew that was gonna happen and then right. it happened and then of course you knew, like you knew Daenerys was not gonna die Right. 
Because as, as as depraved as this show will get, it will not kill off. It is it's it will never kill off Tyrion. It will never kill off Daenerys. It will never kill off Jon Snow. Ooh, but will it though? I, I mean, if any of those characters got killed, I would be like, well, I don't know if I need to watch this show anymore. Like, but I don't, I don't, I don't put it against the show to kill anyone. It has killed off so many people. I will declare this right now: if if Daenerys, Tyrion, or Jon Snow are ever killed on the show, not within like, and that is some sort of grand conclusion or some grand destiny. If they're just killed off, like all the other characters have been killed off, right? I will eat eat a shoe. I will Werner Herzog the shit. I will eat a shoe. You'll cook and your on, Chuck Taylor on this podcast. I will cook. A shoe <laughs> or something, something that's inedible. I don't know. A quilt? I will, I don't want to eat my quilt. No, your quilt's I'll, I'll nice. eat a shitty blanket. I'll eat, I'll eat that blanket right there. Okay. Well, hopefully. I'll boil it and I'll eat it. Hopefully this depraved fucking show does not come to that. <laughs> um, thank you for listening to a split episode of Pretty Little Grown Men. You can star us on iTunes. You can fave us on Twitter. We're at PLGM podcast um if you'd like us to talk about things that are not television shows uh we are certainly happy to do so we read the news and stuff oh yeah we do read the news that's true this is what we are now you should get used to it love us now we're a two-headed dragon (laughs) two-headed pll game of thrones watching dragon yes and as we move forward let us be the rock in the forest Sing